Today on this edition of the Forest City Church Podcast, worship leader Carrington Gaines joins lead pastor Eric Parks for part two of the series titled, This Is My Worship. Today's message is titled, Toda, A Praise of Thanksgiving. Well, we're in week two of our series, This Is My Worship, and if you didn't catch last week's, I'm going to give it to you in a nutshell. Three things you need to know. Number one, we talked about how worship, when we use musical worship in particular, and this is a series about musical worship, and for some of you, you're already like, palms are sweaty, right? Because you're like, man, I don't like to sing or clap or do any of that stuff. Some of you, though, this is like your series. Like, it's like, I love to sing. You don't want to hear me sing, but I love to sing, right? We talked about how musical worship is vertical, connects us to God in some really special ways. And and last week, we talked about how it's also horizontal. It connects us in some special ways. Like, those are the two things you need to know. But the third one is that we post all of our messages online, um, podcast them. So if you want to hear the full message from last week, you can go to any of your podcasting platforms. You can check it out. Or if you just want to get like a quick little burst of faith, go watch Tiny Church. Tiny Church is 15-minute sort of service that will take everything we talked about, cram it into a little package. It's a perfect way to start your Monday. But either way, I'm excited because today we tackle the next piece in this musical worship. This is our progression through understanding how musical worship is such an important part of our faith, an important part of your faith. And I thought if we were going to talk about musical worship, then I ought to bring somebody out here who knows something about musical worship, right? Who leads us in musical worship. And so, will you help me welcome to the stage my good friend, Carrington Gaines. All right, Bishop. All right, Bishop, you look like a pastor today. Okay, now, some of you, a lot of you know Carrington. Carrington is our lead worship um, pastor here at our Rockford campus. He also leads in Elgin. He oversees everything Forest City worship and Forest City music globally. Um, but I thought, you know, like if we were really going to get to know you, uh-huh. I need to, I need to ask you some like questions. Go ahead. I need, I need to, we need to kind of like, let's, let's know who, who is Carrington Gaines? Me? Where'd you come from? Before you moved to, yeah, where'd you grow up? I grew up in Buffalo. Buffalo, New York. Anybody, any Buffalo Bills fans? Buffalo, New York, stand up. What's up? All right, everybody (laughs) sitting down. All right, okay. Now, you grew up in Buffalo, but you came to Rockford by the way of? Atlanta. Atlanta, Georgia. Atlanta, Georgia. How long did you live in Atlanta? We were there for about four, four-ish, five some four. My wife says four. I'm four trust years. My wife. You trust your wife. Yep. Yeah, that's a good call. So, um, been in Rockford since when? When did you when did you move up here? 2020 of August. August of 2020. August of 2020. I'm just messing this all up. Right in the middle. You're doing great. You're doing great. Right in the middle of the pandemic, right? Yeah, man. And so you've now been in Rockford what a year and a half, mm-hmm. and you've gotten uh, to taste some of our food. Uh, which I would like to, I'd like to say that I think Rockford should be famous for their pizza. Anybody else? Anybody else? Rock, Rockford famous pizza. But I, but I pose this question to you. Now that you've been here 16 months, um, Rockford pizza, Buffalo pizza. I love all y'all. I love every single one of you. It's not even close. 
we smoke Rockford every time. Well, here's what smoke. I, so this is what I'm thinking. If, if this is the case, he's thrown down a little bit of a pizza challenge. And I had this idea. I was like, we ought to do a pizza challenge taste test at one of our Sundays. Where we bring in Buffalo, Buffalo pizza, Rockford pizza, and we decide for ourselves. Let's go at Anybody it. Anybody else want to do that? Let's go at it then. I don't know how we're going to do that. I have I no know, idea, but it sounds it. amazing. Um, you know, um, it goes without saying, you know, we know you love the Buffalo Bills, and there's so much more we could talk about you, but as we think about music and worship, yep. I was wondering, how is it that you found find yourself a worship pastor? Um, when I was, like, I was about 22 like, I had already been, like, singing a little bit in the church, but I was a little back and forth. I was, like, doing R&B. I didn't know if I wanted to kind of, like, be the next, you know, Usher Raymond. I was a little lighter back then. I was a little lighter on my feet, too. Um, <laughs> I didn't know if I wanted to do that or if I wanted to kind of, like, go this direction. Um, and, and when I was about 22, 23, my cousin, um, we grew up like brothers, but he passed in, in 2013. And, like, it was like I was, like, like approach with like a decision like it was I mean God was just like hey you know you can go you can go this, this purpose route right here or you can like you can go this route but it was it was like his death was like the thing that made me say okay I gotta stop playing with my life I gotta get serious I gotta get serious about God I gotta get serious about my purpose here on earth and like after he was gone I was like all right this is what I'm gonna do because this is what I was created to do we were talking about this, and it's interesting when you think about our stories, how in the moment, it was, it was a really tragic the way yeah. that Dre passed. Like, it was sudden and tragic, and he was young. He was 22. And it was, like, heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, and yet you had said to me that it, as you look back, without that moment, you're not sure if you would have been, you wouldn't be where you are right now. Yeah, literally every... Like, everything that I've done, I can always trace it back to that moment in life or that little season in life because, I mean, it was the thing that pushed me. It gave me the motivation to say, like, all right, God, I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to go. You know, there's a message right there. This isn't the message this morning. But for those of us that walk in and we find ourselves in the saddest, most trying times in our lives, moments that seem inescapable, seems so broken and busted, it's unimaginable how you will get out. The moment, you know why church matters? Because in moments like this, you get to sit across from someone who's now on the other side, and you can say, there may be a way out for me too, right? That out of these ashes, God might spring something to life in me too. And, and I think, when we talk about worship, when we think about musical worship, um, we, we, we started kicking around words. Actually, you were the one that came up with this. Um, there, there's a word for the worship we want to talk about this day. Today, um, it's, one of, it's one of my like, favorite expressions. Um, it's, it's called Toda. It's a Hebrew word, toda. word that literally just means a praise of thanksgiving. Um, and it's so, it's so powerful to me because it's not really, you know, you have some that like, you know, talk about like physical acts of like, you know, jumping, moving or some when you're kneeling. But this one is literally basically just saying um, your heart is grateful and that's where your worship is coming from. So it's like it's the 
overwhelming sense of gratitude that causes you to, to worship. So whatever he's done for you, whatever he's brought you through, whatever he's doing for you, you're reflecting on that and you're offering him a, a sacrifice of praise in that moment out of that sense of gratitude. You know, I think we hear that. I think we hear this. We hear, oh, it's a praise of thanksgiving, toda. Oh, yeah, I'm grateful. I'm thankful. But, but I think for us to understand it, like if we're going to like understand it, I need to take you someplace for a minute. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Luke chapter 7. You can go on your phone. But I want to tell you a story. Can I get up? Can I stand up? If I sit down, it's just not going to work. Okay. So let me, let me take you somewhere for a minute. Luke chapter 7, there's this story that honestly, if you'll go with us for just a second, I think you're going to understand this idea of prayer of thanksgiving in a brand new way. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus in verse 36 gets invited over to a Pharisee's house, right? It says um, in Luke 7, 36, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his house to sit down and eat. Now, we don't really know a lot about why this religious leader might have brought Jesus to his house. Now, remember, this religious leader, he, like, knows a lot of what's going on. He would know who Jesus is. So we don't know if his motivation is just to check Jesus out, um, to see if maybe he believed his message or not. We don't know if he wanted to compare it to what other Pharisees were saying, if he was an ally or a foe. We don't really know, but this is what we do know is that Jesus accepts the invitation and goes over to this Pharisee's house to eat dinner, right? It's like a, a dinner party. How many of you have ever thrown a dinner party? Raise your hands. Some of you need to throw a dinner party. What are y'all doing? Pharisee throws a dinner party. Now, let me tell you a little bit about the culture because this is really important for you to understand. It was customary for three things to happen at any dinner party in Jesus' day. Three things. Now, you got to remember these. These are important. What I'm about to tell you matters a ton. Three things that happen at every dinner party. See, if you don't do these three things, it would be considered shockingly rude. Number one, when you get to the dinner party person's house, the host, the host will always greet you in Jesus' day with a kiss. Now, if you were equals, you're going to get a kiss on the cheek, right? Like the Europeans do. I think it's so elegant, so nice. If you're of lower status, you might kiss your guests on the hand. But either way, it is this sign of friendship, this greeting. It would always happen. Always, always, always. Second thing that would always happen is that at a dinner party, a host would wash the feet of his guest. Now, he might not do it himself. He might have a servant do it. But remember, in Jesus' day, not walking around on sidewalks or pavement, nope. walking around in sandals and dirt. So you have to imagine when you come to the dinner party, you, you, you kind of, you got dust and dirt all over you. So it's just like a nice thing to have somebody come and put a bowl out. I mean, the worst host would at least put a bowl out for you to wash your own feet but this would always happen. A kiss, a wash, and then the last one, I don't know if we call it like a, a must, but it's like if you're going to be like a really good host, a really good host, you would provide oil, refreshing oil for the dinner. Now remember, in Jesus' day, no deodorant, right? Not the same sort of 
hygiene situation, right? That was a crazy day to live in. That was a crazy day to live in. And so when you get to the dinner party, in order to refresh yourself, a really good host would have this oil. And the oil was meant to, to, to refresh you. You can imagine. So a kiss, a wash, some oil. You throw a party. You do these three things. Now, add on top of that, that Jesus was well known. This isn't like just some average Joe. Like they, it wasn't like, oh, who are you? Oh, you just want to show up? No, 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 no. He was sort of famous. You ever met anybody famous? Yeah, yeah, I have. Who? Um, anybody know the man by the name of Marshawn Lynch? Huh? Huh? Beast mode. Yeah, yeah. Any football fan? He, he's one of the greatest running backs of all time. I promise you. <laughs> There's no debating it. Um, I met him at the mall one time, and it was like, you know, as a, I was a high schooler, and I just remember just seeing him walk, walk through with his big old shoulders, and I was just a kid like, oh, my God, what matter of man is this? Like, I was just, I was so in awe of who he was, because, I mean, in, in my hometown, like, you're, it's like Jesus and then the Bills. Like, it's like no separation. It's like I was so, like, just happy, and I was just like, you know, hey, I got to the point, I was almost like, hey, my cousin here, she's single. Can we make a deal? Something like so. I'm trying to, I'm trying to get my shine back to the crib. You know so, what I'm saying? So let me ask you, okay, you meet Mar Marshawn Lynch, uh -huh. pretty famous guy. Yeah. If you were to invite Marshawn to your house, you're going to roll out the red Whatever he wants, brother. Roll out the red Everything. Carpet. I mean, right. we take the plastic off the couch and everything. It's a wrap. <laughs> you can see what kind of household I grew up in. <laughs> so Jesus shows up. Yeah, man, like... That's why this is like a little like weird to me. And it's like, it's kind of, we should pack, unpack that a little bit. Like Jesus was like a rabbi, but he was like super famous. I know like us now, like everybody's famous because we have Instagram, but like before then, like you really didn't know, but his name like traveled through regions. Like he was that kind of guy. Like when he went somewhere, everybody's like, oh yeah, that's old boy from Nazareth. That's him. Like that's Jesus. So like, and I really want to unpack, like, just a little bit. Like, if we can go back up to Luke um, 21, 7.21, like, just to look at what he was doing. Because at that time, he was literally being questioned by some of the people in the crowd or whatnot. And he was being questioned by some of uh, John the Baptist's disciples. And this is what he was saying. This is what was happening right there in that moment. He says, without answering, Jesus turned to the crowd and healed many of their incurable diseases. His miracle power freed many from their suffering. He restored the gift of sight to the blind, and he drove out demonic spirits from those who were tormented. Only then did Jesus answer the question posed by John's disciples. Now go back and tell John what you have seen and heard here today. So meaning the Pharisees was right there with him today. The blind are now seeing, the crippled are now walking, those who were lepers, lepers are now cured, those who were deaf are now hearing, those who were dead are now brought back to life. The poor and broken are given the hope of salvation, and tell John these words, the, bless, the blessing of heaven comes upon those who, have, who never lo lose their faith in me, no matter what happens. So, the Pharisees are right there while all of that stuff is happening. How crazy it is to like invite that person to your house and you just be like, yeah, take care of yourself, bro. I'm good. No, like if it was me in that situation, man, after seeing all this type of craziness, I, I could have hey, doc, you need some water? Mm -hmm. You need some water? I'll make a mean shrimp taco. Can I make a couple for you? Mm -hmm. Like 
I would have been doing anything I can to make sure that this person felt welcome and taken care of because well, I was just grateful. Well, and that, that's what's interesting about the passage. Yeah. Is Jesus is doing some crazy stuff, right? He gets invited over to the Pharisee's house. Yeah. The Pharisees in front of... Now, 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 here's what you have to understand, too. This wouldn't have been a slight that only a few would see. See, the way that these houses were set up, oftentimes really important people would have dinners. Yeah. They would invite other important people around. Yeah. This classifies as one of those dinners. Now, what they would often do is they would invite the people who are just below the last rung in society, the outcast, the marginalized, to stand on the outer fringes of these open dining rooms that oftentimes were like courtyards. And those folks, when the dinner was over, they would get the scraps. It was a form of charity, right? Yeah. So when Jesus shows up, he's famous. He's Marshawn Lynch, famous. Times a billion. Times a billion. Everyone would have seen this weird thing. Like, why would Simon the Pharisee invite Jesus over to his house and then treat him so rudely? And the thing that stuck out to me was that when you think about it, everyone would have seen it. And the Bible's pretty clear that nobody did a thing about it. And his disciples are probably with him. Probably. We don't know for sure, but probably. They followed him everywhere. They don't say anything. Nobody in the crowd. Nobody important at the table. Jesus is being made a fool. Yeah. A fool. I don't know what this Pharisee's trying to do, but he's trying to make a point. He's been being made a fool, and nobody says anything except for one. You want to talk about the, the most forgotten, lowest of the low, the most marginalized people in Jesus' time. Probably it's true of this today. It would be a prostitute. Now, the what you have to know is that in the ancient world, ordinary, ordinary prostitutes were slaves or ex-slaves, and they had no social standing. They had no rights, no privileges. They were not citizens, okay? So this woman, who doesn't even bear a name, she's so forgotten, she's so marginalized, she doesn't even have the dignity of a name. She's standing on the outer fringe, waiting for some scraps when she sees what happens to Jesus. And in a moment, I mean, for real, she goes crazy. Now, not crazy like flipping out, but what she does is pure crazy. You remember, she's no status. She's not a citizen. What she's about to do would probably mean her end. It would be such an utter embarrassment because she couldn't sit still. A holy, righteous indignation happens in her. And the Bible says she moves toward him and she knows she's not his equal. She cannot kiss him cheek to cheek, but he deserved a proper greeting. So she drops to her knees and she kisses his feet, his dirty feet. And he didn't get a wash when he walked in, and she didn't have a bowl, but in front of the whole crowd, everybody's watching. She begins to weep. She's broken. She's weeping. She cries her tears on Jesus' feet. And then she, 
undoes her hair and she wipes his feet with her hair. And then she doesn't have anointing oil, but what she would have had was around her neck a little vial. Oil, maybe alabaster. Extremely expensive. The only thing that made her job even marginally palatable was the scent of the alabaster that was on her neck. It was invaluable to her. And in that moment, she pours it on his feet. Right there. A kiss, a wash, oil. It's crazy. Now look what Jesus says, because Jesus, it happens, and then he reads the Pharisees' minds. He says this in Luke 7, 47. So I tell you, he's about to explain to every single one of us what just happened. He says, so I tell you, all her sins have been forgiven. Now stop for a minute. I don't know if this, this is my reading of this. We don't know for sure, but you tell me. You think this woman has seen Jesus somewhere else before? Because it seems to me that somewhere along the way, that untouchable forgotten person heard Jesus say something that she goes, oh, wait, 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 that was for me. She heard it somewhere. She followed him there. And in that moment, Jesus says, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. See, she's been forgiven. And that's why she did what she did. See, this, this is like gratefulness, like thanksgiving. It's crazy. But when you know what you've been saved from, sometimes you do crazy stuff. In fact, this is the way that John Ortberg puts it. He says, when that woman hears Jesus teach, the thought occurs to her that she, right there in her life, right there in her sin, right there, like she's loved by God. He thinks of her and longs for her as if she were his daughter. She's valued. It's not too late for her. She's not forgotten. You know? Bro, like, that, that sense of being, like, forgotten or, like, undervalued or unvalued or however you want to look at, look at it, like, I can relate to her in this story. Not because I've prostituted myself before. I'm not saying that. I'm more so just saying, like, I can just relate to the, to the point of, like, being, like, ah, uh, an afterthought. Um, the forgotten one. So when I was, like, growing up, I grew, like, I'm from, like I said, I'm from Buffalo. But, like, I have a huge family, like, huge, huge family. Like, I, should put a, I wanted to show you all my family, actually. So this is my family back home. This is not my whole family, but it's, it's a lot of them. I got a lot of cousins, a lot of aunts, uncles, all of that. It's crazy. Um, we're a very, very like, tight family, but at the same time, we can be a little disconnected. So it's kind of weird, but it is what it is. Like, I love them. Um, and this is, I promise you, this is no way to like, take a shot at my family because it's a lot of love there. But this was just my reality growing up, you know? Um, when I was a kid, it was a little bit different for me. Uh, like I want to show y'all. Can I show y'all a picture of me as a kid too? Uh, yeah, I just I, uh, see, see, I knew that was going to get somebody in here. I knew it. So that's me on the right, right there. And on the left, that's my cousin Jure I, I told you about earlier. Um, so as you can see, since we were kids, they, they didn't mind um, making us look a little crazy. 
Um, but, but I was, you know, as a kid growing up, I was like kind of a community kid, meaning that, you know, everybody who had time or margin, to, they, took they took turns, like, taking care of me at certain points in my, like, upbringing. Um, which was great for a lot of things because I got to know a lot of people in my family, but I also um, got to miss out on a whole lot of things, you know? Like my dad came and got me from Ohio from my mom when I was like months old and brought me to Buffalo. But my dad is a different kind of guy. Like to know him is to love him. Like, I mean, he's like now we're great, like, you know, since I got older. Um, but it's like when I was there, um, we lived in a house with me, him, my grandmother, and my aunt. And I would literally only see him on Sundays when we were going to church or after church when we were watching the Bills game. And it was just like, it was, it was kind of crazy because I'm like, man, I, I remember as a kid, like, man, uh, this is my dad, but he seems to just go in the room and shuts his door when he come in from work. And I don't know, I felt scared to even go through the door, honestly. Like, it was just that kind of situation for me as a kid. Um, so my grandmother would try her very best to like, you know, raised me as a boy, but I mean, her solution to everything was always like making fried chicken and feed me peach cobbler, and I feel like that's what slowed down my metabolism, and that's why I'm dealing with what I'm dealing with right now. Um, <laughs> but, um, but you know, she tried her best, and then, you know, my aunts, and I had a whole aunt, a host of aunts and uncles and cousins, and they, and they really did. You know, as a kid, they, they did, um, but there were so many different little gaps that, like, I had to endure because I mean like you know as a parent you you're always thinking about your kid but as aunts uncles cousins if you got other things that you're doing in life then that person becomes like the afterthought so I had to battle this thing like from a very young age of always feeling forgotten I always felt like the forgotten kid like it was nothing like it was it was it just was like ingrained in me from like that age um uh, but one of the things when me and Parker were talking, he was like, hey, man, like, let's, like, what, where, where is that for you? Where, where's a moment um, that you forgot, you, you felt like just, like, unloved, overlooked, forgotten, this, that, and the third. And I was like, you know, I started thinking about some very surface things. I'm like, well, I done been through some things in my life. But he was like, no, 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 really go to, like, one of the, like, the source. Like, where, where is that at? And I remember, like, I started thinking about it, and I had just, like, when he asked, it's like my mind triggered, and it went to this place when I was, like, in sixth grade. And I remember, like, the summertime was over, so, like, I had one pair of shoes, and I was running, and I was like, ah, oh, my shoes is messed up. They flopping and whatnot. And as a kid, you know, I see all of my other cousins with, you know, a whole bunch of stuff because either they had both parents in the house or they, they had one parent that over, overcompensated crazy because they didn't have both of them. Um, and I remember just going to aunts and uncles and everybody who would listen, like, hey, you know, school is coming up. Who got me this time? Like, it's like as an 11-year-old kid, like, think about that. I'm just like, somebody, who won't look out for your boy, shouted. Like, I was just really just in this place, like, of trying to figure out, like, all right, what am I going to do? I couldn't work. Like, I couldn't work. I couldn't do anything. I, I just had to, like, depend on other people. But that was one of the times when everybody else was like, well, I got to take care of my own, so I don't really know what to tell you. Um, so I just remember one Sunday where we were all at my house uh, because, you know, mama house, everybody goes there after church because she's cooking fried chicken and peach cobbler. So everybody goes to the house. They come and they're like, okay, it's a house full of people. And I'm like, all right, well, maybe I can make my appeal here. Um, and I remember putting like a sign on my door, like, hey, can 
anybody help me get $50 for a pair of shoes for the school? Because we're, going, we're getting going back. And, um, and I remember, like I, like, I was kind of embarrassed, so I just went in my room. And I just closed the door, but I knew they had to, like, walk past my door to get in the house. So I was just hoping, like, somebody would have just, like, hey, what you need? Or somebody come and say, like, hey, I'll take, come, I'll take you to the store or something like that. But it, it, it never happened. So, like, at that age of, like, 11, 12 years old, like, I started to develop this, like, callus towards, like, people um, in my family. And I started to develop this callus towards, like, um, like, feeling like I can't be sufficient on my own because I was just like, nobody cares about me. Nobody's going to look after me. Everybody else is going to get taken care of, and I'm just going to be able to be like the, the, the prostitute looking for scraps or hand-me-downs or something like that, which I did. I, I made the most out of what I had. But it was like at that point I started feeling that, and it, and it grew with me. As I grew in age, as I grew up into high school, I, I, like, I carried that. I carried that feeling of like I'm, I'm always going to be over. I'm always going to be the forgotten one. I'm always going to be that. Um, up until, like, I got to about 17 years old. And I remember I was, like, I was sitting in a Good Friday service back home. And I heard this scripture say in Psalms 27, when mother and father forsake you, God will take you in. And I just remember something, like, just started to, like, bubble in me. Like, something started to break in me because it was like, wait, so... So that can be me too. Like I got a chance, like even though my, my natural father was here, my natural mother was here, but I didn't feel like I had that. So I remember he, caught, he made a call to salvation. Like if you come in his family. So I, I went to the altar and I remember like hearing the audible voice of God say, I have always been your father and I have always been there. And from that day on, it was like an onion. Stuff just started being peeled back peeled back and peeled back to the point where it's like I started to develop a relationship as the years went on and it was like I started to find myself being so like overwhelmed sometimes like you know because anybody you remember when you first got saved and and you like all right I'm gonna throw away all my secular CDs I'm throwing everything away and I'm only listening to gospel music from now on like that was that was that guy like I was like all right I'm not listening to nothing else so I'd be driving and my, I'm like, I was just like, I'd just be sitting there. I have to pull over to the side of the road sometime and just start like breaking down weeping because I was so grateful that I finally got the love that I had been looking for since I was a nine-year-old kid. So like, I, I, I'm saying all that to say like, when, when we look at me now today, right? I know y'all, you know, because so many of y'all have stopped me and asked like, man, where does all of that come from? You just get all excited and I was like, it's not emotionalism. That passion is not for nothing. That passion is because I'm grateful that a God came and found me at one of the lowest places in my life and brought me into the family of his. You know what I'm saying? So, like, that's why I worship the way I do. That's why I do it. You know, it's interesting. We're going we're gonna to wrap here in a minute with a song. Like, Carrington picked a song. He's going to sing for you. I got to thinking about this idea of gratefulness, that, that prostitute Carrington's story. And the truth is that at some level, every single one of us share a little bit of that. Now, some of you, you came to Jesus a long time ago. You've just forgotten that moment. But I wonder what it would look like if in the next few minutes, you just went back to that moment. The moment when you realized 
that in spite of what you had done, all the brokenness in your past, that there was a God that loved you anyway. You didn't have to earn his love. You had to prove anything out. Because see, when our worship starts there, sometimes we will act crazy. Your crazy might not look like my crazy, but I can tell you that when we begin to realize what we were saved from, when we begin to be grateful for all that he's given us, I'm telling you, it shapes the way in which we worship. And so some of you in the next few minutes, maybe it's like a trip down memory lane. Where you think about the moment, mine was January 1st, 1995, when it all made sense to me. And I'm like, I'm coming home. But here's the truth in a room like this, there might be some of us that have never taken, taken that step. And here's what I want you to know. There is a God. He loves you. You were made on purpose. There are no accidents. He has a purpose for your life. He loves you not because of what you've done. He loves you because of who you are. He looks at you and smiles. He smiles over you. He has a plan to prosper you, not to harm you. He has a plan to give you a hope and a future. And maybe your day will be this day. I don't know. But what I do know is what you'll see in this house is people who are worshiping out of a realization that not because of what we've done, because of what he has done, we are saved. So in this next few minutes, yeah, in this next few minutes, will you just listen as Carrington brings us into this moment and maybe reflect for a moment on how good God has been to you. You've been listening to Eric Parks and Carrington Gaines with a message, Toda, a praise of thanksgiving, which is part two of the series, This Is My Worship. Thanks for listening.